Hello. Hi. 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 Hello. I'm curious about. I'm curious about. I'm curious about. I'm curious about building open, authentic, loving relationship. I'm curious about jealousy. I'm curious about polyamory. Does it just mean that you're fucking all the time? How can I tell my parents that my partner is already married? I'm curious about... How do you know when you're too busy to have another relationship? I'm curious about dominant and subordinate relationships. I'm curious about sexual health. How can relationships relationships evolve with people as they grow and change? It's really interesting. If you had told me... 15 years ago, I would be fascinated by age and aging. I would have said, ew, why do I want to think about something so yucky and depressing? And for a generalist like me, aging is how we move through life, right? Mm -hmm. It's not just something annoying that old people do. It is Mm -hmm. our journey. Welcome to the Curious Folks podcast. For those challenging the status quo in love, sex, and relationships, my name is Effie Blue. And I'm Jacqueline Misla, and on today's episode, Effie and I are speaking with Ashton Applewhite about aging, relationships, and sex. Ashton is the author of over 30 books, including This Chair Rocks, A Manifesto Against Ageism, and Cutting Loose, Why Women Who End Their Marriages Do So Well. She's a spokesperson in the movement to end age discrimination In 2016, Ashton joined the PBS site Next Avenue's annual list of 50 influencers in aging as their influencer of the year. She's been recognized by the New York Times, National Public Radio, The New Yorker, and the American Society on Aging as an expert in ageism. She's written for Harper's, The Guardian, The New York Times, and blogs at thischairrocks.com. She's been named as a fellow by the Knight Foundation, New York Times, Yale Law School, and the Royal Society for the Arts. And in 2015, she was included in the list of 100 inspiring women who are committed to social change. Her credentials don't end there. Super fun fact, under the pseudonym Blanche Knott, she wrote Truly Tasteless Joke Series, which was the best-selling paperback of 1982 and was the first woman to have four books on the New York Times bestseller list. Ashton's memoir, Being Blanche, was published in Harper's Magazine in June of 2011. To me, Ashton Applewhite was my landlady. I had the pleasure and the privilege of living with her in Brooklyn, where she keeps a magical hidden garden, which I got to wake up to every day for the best part of two years. I didn't know who she was exactly when I moved in with her. I knew she was an intellectual because of the person who connected me to her, but no details, really. And then I started to have coffee with her in her magical garden. And wow, was I impressed, inspired, and in awe. At the time, she was working on her book, This Chair Rocks, and talking to her about ageism was an incredible learning experience. Because of her and her work, I stopped asking people how old they are and instead changed my language to, what age are you? She's an incredible person to talk about when it comes to ageism. I was first introduced to Ashton via her TED Talk, where she noted that it is not the passage of time that makes it so hard to get older. It's ageism, a prejudice that pits us against our future selves and each other. In the talk, Ashton names that aging is not the problem to be fixed or a disease to be cured. Instead, it's a natural, powerful, lifelong process that unites us all. And in 2017, Ashton joined the Curious Fox Consider This Stage, where she gave a talk amply named What's Age Got to Do With It? Her complete talk is available on her Patreon page. For our conversation with Ashton, we were curious about two questions. How does age and ageism affect the way we think about relationships and sex? There is a common idea that we want to meet someone that we can grow old with. How does this idea of growing old with someone affect the way we approach relationships? Do we stay in relationships that we're not thriving in because we think we won't meet anyone when we're older? Does our shame around sex galvanize us even more as we age? We have been noticing how there's such little representation of new relationships at an older age. For example, we don't ever imagine older people on a first date, nor we see it depicted much. Often when the idea of older people having sex comes up, it often draws an ew from the crowd. We don't see representations of healthy, real sex lives in general. 
And we certainly don't see representations of healthy, real sex lives of older people. Ashton was the perfect person to unpack all of this. Enjoy our chat. So Ashton, welcome. Thank you. The conversation that we want to have today and the topic that we want to explore today is how does age and ageism affect the way that we think about relationships and sex? For example, the desire to grow old together with someone um, is based on the fear that we will we might not be able to date and have a romantic partnership when we're older. And we're just kind of curious about what those connections are and what do you think the social constructs are around that? It's funny, uh, no one has ever asked me that question before, so um, I tip my hat to you. <laughs> and I, usually the person interviewing me has some sunny romantic idea, and which I instantly trash, but I'm going to come in here with a slightly sunny romantic idea <laughs> to your more realistic um, one, which is that I do think that it, there is something remarkable and beautiful if you are lucky enough, and it is what you desire, and you find someone who desires the same thing, to move through your entire life together. That's kind of amazing. It doesn't happen very often, but the thought that you would pass all these mileposts and do stuff together and apart and end up, you know, at the end of the road, looking at each other and going, whoa, that was, you know, that was quite a ride is also a beautiful one. Mm -hmm, But I agree that part of it is, you know, someone had better hold on to my wrinkly, gnarly old paw because it's (laughs) going to be harder to find a, another paw, wrinkly, gnarly, or otherwise at the end. And part of that is, I have to say also then a sensible in that the most important component of a good old age, I would have said out the bat, because I knew nothing when I started mm-hmm. researching this, which is back when we met Effie, mm-hmm. is not health and it's not wealth. It is having a solid social network. So the need and desire for companionship in our mm-hmm. late years is really important and really authentic, whether it is with one partner or you know a huge network of friends. An awful many, many more women end up mm-hmm. alone in later life because we live longer, and uh, which is biology, and uh, because um, it, because men, if they are widowed or single, have an easier time finding another partner mm-hmm. in heterosexual terms, and uh, so a lot of women are alone in the sense of unpartnered in, you know, heterosexual women, Mm -hmm. but women actually have an advantage in that we do tend to be the custodians of social relationships and have a bigger social network. Mm -hmm. Although I hope that that is changing Mm -hmm. as gender roles and social roles become Mm -hmm. more ambiguous and um, mixy-uppy, a term of my own coinage, which I find very useful. (laughs) Yeah, no, I totally get that. That's interesting. Do you think that people have a tendency to stay in relationships more, forgive more, maybe stay in relationships that necessarily isn't, you know, one that they're thriving in because they're older, and that they kind of feel like they might not, they might have less options because we don't see many, rep- we don't see many representations of like first dates when you're older or like starting relationships when you're older. So do you think that there's any point where we're just like, well, I'll just, you know, pass this age, I'm out. not going to find somebody. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, write it out. Is that, do you think that is, do you think that happens? Well, I hope you don't think this answer is a cop out, but I think it really, really depends on the individual. I have heard both sides of this. You know, I'm so um, old and wrinkly, no one will have me. I better clutch, you know, hang tight to the person I have. Or or our lives are now so entwined, you know, materially, children, the condo in Florida, God forbid, or whatever. Sorry, no diss to people who have condos in Florida. Um, You know, that at this point, it's just too much effort to find another boat to row in. And I have heard people say, well, gee, I'm, let's say, and I don't like setting a, a given age because it's, you know, it's, it's highly arbitrary, but say we hit our late middle age, early old age, whatever, that kids are out. If you have children, whatever, I have a little money in the bank, hopefully, you know what? I could be on this planet for 20, 30 more years and I want to be happy and I am not happy in those relationships. So I also hear people taking stock because lives are longer than they used Mm -hmm. to be and saying, you know what, I would rather be alone or experiment than stay in a relationship, which is not fulfilling, but it's really, really important to 
realize that these are utterly individual choices. We have this nutty idea that people become old, epitomized in the vile term, the elderly, the biggest mm-hmm. problem being the the in front of it, because it implies that at a certain point you you wake up old, nothing works, and then you are consigned to this horrible, sad parking lot of decrepit old people. Mm-hmm. In fact, if there is one fact about aging I wish I could put in everyone's head, it is that the longer we live, the more different from one another we become. The geeky way, uh, you'll appreciate Effie, is that he- the, that scientists, social scientists put it, heterogeneity is the defining characteristic mm-hmm. of old age. Mm-hmm. So the way each of us approach anything grows more unusual, more unique, more individual, the longer we live, the older we are. Interesting. That actually um, ties to something that both my grandma and my mom just say to me, which is, longer you stay single, the less likely that you're going to end up with somebody because you're going to find less common ground with people, which I don't necessarily agree with. It's just, I see why they're saying that. I don't agree with the sentiment, but I see, oh, that's what they see. They see that as people get older, they become more sort of individual. They have more of an idea and they're less, and I think they conclude, therefore they become less tolerant of others, which I think uh-huh. is not that part. I think, I think is where they, that, that connection isn't yeah. a, a real one, but I see like the older you are, the, m- the more you get to know yourself and the more individual you are. I think that's perfectly put, you know, our, our personalities don't change. If you are mm-hmm. tolerant and curious at 22, you're going to be tolerant and curious, you know, at 92. Mm-hmm. But it is true that if you, you know, if you have had a, a habit, a way of, of being in the world and things you really don't want to relinquish, that could make you certainly less tolerant of wanting to be in a relationship for its own sake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you think that starting relationships I want to get this terminology right because we were writing and I was, I used the term, I think elderly, all the elderly and you beautifully replied to me, took time to reply to me and said, here's why we don't say elderly anymore. And I was just like, yes, (laughs) always. Every interaction that I have with you, I'm like, walk away with something new. (laughs) So do you think that people, older people starting relationships, starting new relationships, whether that's monogamous relationships or, or open or poly relationships. Do you think that those relationships have a different quality? Those starts have a different quality than when you start relationships when you're younger? NRE is NRE. No. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, any, any generalization about young people is the epitome of ageism. How can mm-hmm. anything be true of all 17-year-olds or all 28-year-olds? And based on what I just said, any generalization about 47-year-olds or 67-year-olds is increasingly less accurate by by definition, because of biology, because we're of the way we are shaped by moving through life. So it is impossible, even if I were an expert in sexual patterns as we you know migrate through life, to say, oh, this is what it's like for old people. But um, I can certainly say from personal experience and from witnessing my friends that when you meet someone new, there is incredible excitement, and you know you fill in all the you know all the cracks between the text with every characteristics you've ever um, aspired to. <laughs> that um, every count on which your your mate should you have one has ever disappointed you and so on and I think that's just human. Mm. Are there more opportunities do you think now for folks to meet in older age than there were before or less? I know that a lot of now dating is moving online and that feels uncomfortable for everyone, including myself. I don't think that that has to do with whether you're older, younger, or how tech savvy you are. I think that it's always better to just meet someone in, in your life and kind of connect that way. But I'm interested to see if you're seeing any kind of shift, this idea that we have that we must grow old together with someone because we, God forbid, will be alone and then won't find anyone. Are you finding that there are opportunities for people to meet each other? And is that evolving over time, what those opportunities look like? I mean, again, I am not an expert on dating trends. You know, Mm -hmm. I can only speak from my experience and those of people I know. I mean, both my children who are in their early to mid thirties are dating people they met online. And I think that it is very, I mean, there are, there are a number of dating apps just for older people, which is a good thing maybe in that it makes older people feel more confident Mm. because of the larger topic of this podcast itself, this idea that you really need to date in your own age group, age cohort. So I think that, you know, people are moving online at all ages and I don't see a big breakdown here between the way younger people go about it and the way older people are going about it. I do second your advice, like try to meet in person as soon as possible so that you don't 
do that thing of attributing every single, like the handy guy. I am still waiting for the handy guy. Maybe it'll be the handy woman to come along and know how to fix it in my house. Okay. That is going to make my heart quicken more than anything else. No luck so far. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Well, you referenced the online dating platforms, and it's true that I'm seeing more online dating platforms for for older generations, or I should, or even just generational dating platforms. And I think that that also speaks to this narrative that exists that people should date within their age range, date in their lane. And so I'm wondering if we can take a little time to explore age gaps and dating and being sure. in relationships within age gaps. I know that you have personal experience with that. Certainly have written about that. I am married. To someone who is 14 years my senior and partnered with someone who's five years my junior. And so I have some lived experience there, but I'm interested to see or hear more about your experience and what you have learned in your research about our narratives when it comes to age gaps and genders and age gaps. I mean, really, the only time that age is ultra relevant and most unfairly so is if you want to have children. In which case, let's face it, the older the woman, the more relevant her reproductive status is, you know. But there's also data. I mean, newsflash, we live in a sexist, patriarchal, misogynist world. There's tons of data out there also that men's sperm degrades. You never hear about that. And also the the sort of bad news about how your talk, clock is ticking and you'd better you know make that baby by Tuesday or you're doomed uh, is inflated by the media because it is alarmist and because it helps sell lucrative medical services and also because it it emphasizes the really punishing narrative that women are valuable only in such as uh, to what to the degree to which we are reproductively useful right there's very little research carried out on women past menopause it's really shocking on our, on our well-being, on abuse, as well as health. But I digress. Uh, so if you're, if you want to make babies, yeah, the age, especially of the woman is really relevant, but how much sex is for making babies? Hardly any of it, even if you're with someone with whom you want to make babies. So it is hugely overblown. And I would love to live in a world where age is neutral where it is an important component of who you are, just Mm -hmm. like your ethnicity, just like whether you like chocolate, whatever, you know, it's, it's an important part not to deny, but age has so little to do with compatibility. That's Mm -hmm. the important point. We think it does because we are brainwashed by ageism because most of us haven't started to examine these ideas. And because society, especially in the U S is so age segregated, Mm -hmm. but you know, it's like, it's like exposure to queer people, black and brown people, vegetarians, whatever. You know, if you are with people who are not like you in that regard, you learn pretty fast, assuming you're open-minded that, oh, they're, you know, they're not so weird. They, we have this in common, or I like them or, and I don't like them. But the reason I like or don't like them has to do with their ideas mm-hmm. and their way of being in the world, not their age and not whether or not they eat meat, mm-hmm. Right. So there's that. I mean, because we live under patriarchy and because a woman's worth, I realize I'm speaking in very heteronormative terms, but that is sort of how the world conceives most of this. A woman's value is pegged to a reproductive status and a man's fertile for longer. And also men have more money because we live under patriarchy. So there is this pairing typically of older men and younger women which is everyone's terrible loss. I mean, from a, from a sexual point of view, women come into our sexual prime in our forties, I believe. Mm-hmm. And if you measure a man's sexual prime and you know, how, how hard he can stay for how long, then that is probably 18 or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so certainly physiologically, there is no basis whatsoever <laughs> for the older man, younger woman <laughs> paradigm. Sure. And, but I think the larger point is that age doesn't have anything unless you want to do extreme sports together because there are only two inevitable bad things about getting older. People you've known all your life are going to die and some part of your body is going to fall apart. If you want to windsurf or climb, you know, up Yosemite using only your fingernails, something I cannot understand (laughs) what people want to do, um, you you probably aren't going to be able to do that with a much older companion. But just about anything else, age 
really just has nothing, 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 nothing to do with it. So many other things about us, you know, what, where, where we grew up, a class, I hate to say it, you know, economic opportunity, what family values, all that stuff it are far, far, far more significant and shaping components of compatibility. So I really like to see, I would like to see age not be on the front of online dating profiles mm-hmm. for the same reason as I'd like to not have them not be on the front page of medical charts. It belongs in there. It can be the first question you ask, but imagine if we form that first impression free of the bias, which we all have, me too, of the value we associate, the connotations we attach to that number the minute we have it. Ashton, I'm curious, where do you think where does that come from? Like, what are the qualities that we are indoctrinated with? And when we look at age, we have these preconceived ideas that is so ingrained into our society, into um, our personal lives. Like, wh- what is the root of all this? Like, is this a, is this a big question? Like, what is, essentially, what's the root of ageism? I guess is what I'm asking. But like, where do these preconceived ideas come from? Well, I'll give you a, re- a really big answer. Mm-hmm. They come from the place that all prejudice comes from. Mm -hmm. All prejudice operates to pit us against each other, Mm -hmm. to maintain existing power relations. The -hmm. reason the gender wage gap persists after all these years is because it is profitable. Mm -hmm. You know, companies make more money if they pay women less. Companies make more money and men have more power in relationships Mm -hmm. if younger women and older women are fighting for the same dude. Apologies for the heteronormative context, Mm -hmm. but you can extrapolate outwards. You know, if moms in the paid workforce are arguing with stay-at-home moms about who's a better mom, they are Mm -hmm. not organizing to close the gender wage gap so women can choose whether or not to Mm -hmm. stay home. And the old versus young narrative is just another variation on that. It maintains existing power relations. If if we think that all all those old people, they're holding on to jobs so young people can't get a foothold, it is really hard for young people to get a foothold in the job market. Mm -hmm. The reason is ageism, which is any judgment on the basis of age, Mm -hmm. and young people experience a lot of it, but... Mm -hmm. They are not older, olders and youngers do not typically compete for the same jobs. That is a myth called the, and the, and the amount and nature of jobs are not fixed. That's called the, the fallacy of the lump of labor. But as long as people swallow this idea, which seems intuitively attractive, and it is true in certain narrow fields like academia. If there's only three tenure track jobs, you know, then people do. And people, you know, basically stay in them till they die. But in general, in the world, olders and youngers do not compete for jobs. If there are not enough jobs, it's a labor market problem, not a too many old people problem. So this us versus them framing pops up everywhere. And its fundamental purpose is the same, to maintain existing power relations, which, of course, privilege, wait for it, the white the male, mm-hmm. the cisgender, mm-hmm. the straight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and here we are. <laughs> Come on, right here we go. Right here we go. Right here we are. It's so true. It, it's, it, it's so true. It's so true. And I think similarly in the relationships, going back to this idea of the, the, um, the age gap in the relationships and this archetype of the older man with younger women and what we think of that, but we allow it where, and if it's reversed one, we don't see, we don't see many of that, right? We don't see many representations of the reverse of that. And if we do, we have sort of ideas around this. It's like, I think it starts with confusion or lack of exposure. Right. Right. The, the, the cougar who is the older woman, younger man, and then, you know, highly sexualized relationship. Yeah. And yes. I mean, cougar is like dyke, you know, to me, mm-hmm. it, it is a word, it depends on who's using it and how, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it, uh, dyke and queer became reappropriated. They were, mm-hmm. they were very ugly slurs. Mm-hmm. And then queers and dyke said, fuck you. Mm-hmm. Th- this is, I'm claiming this, you know, as part mm-hmm. of my identity. I mean, I don't, to my knowledge, no one's called me a cougar. I don't identify that way, but you want to call me a cougar. It's okay. Unless you're, I, I'm assuming <laughs> it's a compliment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and 
you know, I've had experiences where I have been out and my wife has been referred to as my mother or my partner who identifies as non-binary and presents, you know, as male presenting has been identified as my younger son, as my 16 year old son. (laughs) And those moments are uncomfortable and awkward. So just like, you know, a note to anyone out there who is listening, please do not assume the relationship of the people who are in front of you. And we were at, at something and we were dropping my daughter off at an event and the person referred to me as mom and re- referred to my wife as grandma. And there was just no need to refer to us as anything. Yeah. Except just to say hello and to, you know, the, the identifying our roles. So just PSA to the folks that are out there. But that does make those types of relationships more challenging that in the privacy of our own connection, that age gap may not get in the way and our values and our, our traction for each other and maybe the primary focus. But once we step out into the world and into a restaurant or into, yeah. a, into an event and our age gap is mirrored in front of us by the faces or the names or the reactions of those around us, that becomes more challenging. And so I'm just interested in your, ex- in your experience around that and, and <laughs> either any <laughs> anecdotes or tips to share. <laughs> I mean, I'll give a really, really big answer to start with, which is that ideally, if after, you know, decades of work, we can free our minds of these stereotypes and these prejudices, which is a lifetime's work, it it has to be engaged in with others, including all the doofuses on the street. So it's not, you know, and, and we all make progress and then slip back. Uh, Ideally, you and your partner and your lover would be free of that so that when someone, you know, says something like that, you can brush it off because it doesn't, doesn't affect how you feel about each other, but we shouldn't have to do that. Of course I do. I have had for now, gosh, seven years, a lover who is less than half my age. He's in his early thirties and I'm 68 and he is beautiful. Effie will testify to that. True story. I said, do you think when we're walking down the street, people think you're an escort? (laughs) (laughs) And he said, I I think they do some of the time, but, um, which is just funny, but we were in a bar once sitting at the counter and I made some reference to my son who is actually a year or two younger than Keith. And we both noted the bartender sort of did a double take and we laughed about it on the way home because it it didn't bother us, you know, Mm -hmm. but he's been Polly his whole life. I've been Polly for a long time. I am old enough to be his mother, whereas you would be hard put to be, you know, the the mother or daughter of, you know, it's, it's, it's Mm -hmm. easier when the age gap is obvious, which it shouldn't be. Ideally that should make no Mm -hmm. difference, but of course it does. We live in a world where age does matter. We were at a restaurant the second time and I went to the bathroom. We were about to go and, and uh, Keith was schmoozing the um, waiter and the waiter said, um, is this your son? And I said, no, he's my boyfriend. <laughs> and the waiter's draw dropped and he said, high five. And <laughs> without skipping a beat said, where's my high five? Mm. Nice. Yeah. Well handled. <laughs> yeah. But it didn't bother us because we are experienced. And it, I mean, it didn't, I know, I know that it is many, it's funny. I see it as a woman's, well, I guess it's also for, I see it as a woman's point of view because I am a, you know, cis woman, um, but also for a man who would want to be, but I think would be much less likely to assume that an older man out with a younger woman is with his daughter then we mm. would an older woman be mm. with her son because of all the crap we already talked about. That's, That's true. true story. That is true story. So you said you're Polly. You know, I've known you for for a long time. So I know that about you as well. So I'm curious if you have any any sort of thoughts or reflections on the kind of the intersection of age and ageism relationships and sort of Polly um, within those communities. How age shows up? Is it more accepted? Like because once you're Polly, you're and you're, you know, practicing polyamory, having multiple relationships, nurturing them. I think that your priorities are different. That you are in relationship in, in relationships with different priorities, different weight on things, and much more open minded. Do you think that age, the importance that we put on age, somehow dilutes within polyamorous communities or polyamorous relationships? Do you think that has any effect at all? Again, you have a much bigger overview than I do. I can only speak to the, you know, poly communities that I know of anecdotally, but my intuition is exactly that, that already you are willing to defy social convention Mm -hmm. to some degree already. You are 
more likely to perhaps be non-binary or be experimental, but, you know, to think less conventionally about relationships in general and relationships between different gender, different domestic arrangements. So by, by ex- extrapolation, mm-hmm. it would seem that way that, and also the huge advantage of poly, I mean, one of them is that you have, you know, more people who are different from each other in different places in their lives mm-hmm. to meet different needs. And, you know, the age would be just, just part of that suite of um, characteristics, neutral mm-hmm. characteristics that um, help you find, you know, the, the, the people who are right for your life at that time. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that's a very woolly answer, but I, 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 my intuition is that you're, you are absolutely correct. Yeah, that makes sense. And actually, that makes me think about a possible connection between age and relationships and queerness or the LGBTQ community. And similarly to what you're describing, where you were one or was already stepped out of the heteronormative prescription, and thus maybe things like age, for example, between two women or two men become less of a significant barrier in that relationship. They've already departed from the quote unquote norm. Yeah. yeah. And I think about it, I do think I have seen bigger age gaps in among my lesbian friends mm-hmm. than straight friends, if I had to guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes, I mean, it makes intuitive sense. You've already, you've already, you know, shocked and aggravated your parents. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> yes, true story from lived experience. True story. I didn't know my parents were dead. It took me a long time to get on the bandwagon. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Um, I also want to just explore the part. We talked a lot about relationships. I also want to kind of explore the, the, the sex part of things, right? Because the thing about sex is that it is kind of intertwined with biology, right? I, I mean, it's not as the idea that um, women lose their sort of sexuality at menopause is a myth, but it is kind of what's out there. Well, and it can happen. I mean, my friend, my, I won't name her, but she, she is going through menopause and she says, I've been the horniest person my whole life. And all of a sudden I'm less horny, mm-hmm. but there could be other hormonal changes going on. And also it, you know, my, my hunches, my strong hunches speaking with no medical background is it's temporary. Right. Sure. Until you adjust, you get back into it. And we know that sex isn't just biology. That is a combination of like what's on your mind, what goes on with your body. And there's definitely a lot of research around if you use it, you won't lose it. And I think we are indoctrinated with this idea that older people don't have as much sex and we shouldn't have as much sex and we don't want it. And I think at some point it is like we decide, oh, you know, menopause hits. And then so like we think that we should we should have less sex, therefore we do have less sex, and that actually kills the sex drive more than anything. So I think that kind of happens. How can we combat that? Is really the question. Like how do we how do we keep people sexually active and engaged if they want to throughout their lives rather than give them these like expiration dates? Yeah. I, I mean, I love that you came in with the if they want to, because the sort of prevailing capitalist doctrine of aging is like successful aging, which is a term I really loathe. That'll be for another podcast is it really means to not age, to continue to look and move and act as much like your younger self as possible. Mm -hmm. And part of that is valorizing remaining sexually active. And if you don't want to put all that energy there anymore, or you are not interested or your, you know, your heart is broken perhaps by the loss of your life partner, you know, you want to hang up your toe shoes. That is totally fine. No Mm -hmm. judgment. I think it's really important not to say something's wrong with you if you decide not to Mm -hmm. remain sexually active. But a lot of people, especially women, because of the forces we already discussed, stop being sexually active because they can't find anyone to do it with. Although I have to tip my hat to Joan Price, who wrote uh, Naked at Our Age. I'm sure you've interviewed her. If you haven't, you need to, who talked about she lost a, a partner of a long time. And she went in for a checkup with her OBGYN six or eight months later. And the nurse said, are you sexually active? And she said, well, I'm masturbating. And I had not thought until that moment of sexual activity with yourself. So what, you know, even with that, what are our definitions of sexually active? Your libido does decline with age. And we all know, I think, it's certainly my experience that if you've gone a long time without sex, the longer you go, the less you miss it. The more you have, the hornier you are. So I do think that one of the ugliest, ugliest myths, I can't even say this phrase without sort of 
needing to clear my throat is the sexless senior. This, oh. you know, oh, right? <laughs> it's like it's a woman. I mean, yeah. why, why would we stop? Sex does change. And for men, you know, if you are measuring your sexual prowess in terms of how hard your dick is and how many orgasms you have, you will feel lesser. And that is not, you know, any change that doesn't come unbidden is it's hard to welcome that in a in a society that and movies and stuff that valorize, you know, wham, bam, look at porn, you know, most porn, wham, bam stuff that is has never been the sex that most women enjoyed the most. Mm -hmm. Sex typically gets better. For women as we age. Vaginal dryness is a thing. Guess what? There are all sorts of, of, uh, of creams. <laughs> this is another awful term, vaginal atrophy. There's a whole oh. discourse around whether that term itself is even um, is misogynist in itself. But keep things active down there. You, do, you don't have these problems. I mean, there are other people who can speak more clinically accurately to that. Mm-hmm. It is really important to beat back the narrative that sex means that people don't care about sex, don't want touch. It is important to accept the notion that you're idea of sex needs to broaden, you know, slower, Mm -hmm. more whole body, you know, less orgasm centered. Joan Mm -hmm. Price talks about foreplay preceding arousal, you know, you perhaps needing to be more deliberate about date night or whatever. But guess what, you get there and it is delightful. And if I had to pick one huge advantage that older people bring to it, and I realize I am thinking of it in gendered terms that women are, uh, and I hope, this is changing with people younger than I am. I I want to think that it is this whole idea of women sort of going along with what men want and being more passive and accommodating. You get better at knowing what you want and saying what you want. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that as a, you know, as a sex expert, Effie, you would agree that communication (laughs) is more important to good sex than how big your dick is or how wet your pussy is Mm -hmm. or all those other things. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I would, we would love actually to bring you back to, I want to just explore that some more. I mean, I can only speak to my own experience and there's been a pandemic on. It's been a serious dry spell, ladies. Here, 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 here. But I'm, I'm interested, I think, and this is, a, again, a topic potentially for another day, but th- this idea of that actually sex and relationships can fe- can get much better as you are older because you do know yourself. You know your body. You no longer have some of the child-rearing expectations as a younger person. You have more access to uh, to dollars, hopefully, as an older person. That, that there's so many things that actually can make those dynamics better. Mm-hmm. And I think I would love us to spend some time in a future conversation really exploring that and becoming excited about being in relationships right. as we are older and excited. I mean, Effie and I are interested in this whole phenomena around kind of late in life lesbianism. And and I imagine that might be the same too with men, but that is, I, I didn't get into my first lesbian relationship until my thirties. And in TikTok world, of course, I went onto TikTok to, to monitor my daughter's experience. And now I'm, I'm captured into this world. <laughs> how'd, that, how'd that go? <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's lesbian TikTok, then there's late to lesbian TikTok. And then there is this whole now subsection of women who were sure that they were straight, but then came upon lesbian TikTok and now are like, how straight am I? And, and are really beginning to think in their older age, like, could I explore some other things? And so I, I just, I think, you know, my point is we'd love to have you back and, and, and be able to pick your, your brain and, and talk through some and explore some of these things together. I'm wondering if we can ask you four rapid fire questions. The first, ironically, of course, has to do with uh, and mentions age. But the first of the four questions is, what is one piece of advice that you would give to your younger self about love, sex, or relationships? You know, you you are so much more beautiful than you think you are. Mm. You're perfect. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, such a good one. Um, I think that's good advice at any age to anyone. Yeah. yeah, just a good reminder to anyone. Yeah. Okay. What is one romantic or sexual adventure on your bucket list? Uh, well, I 
two discovered women very late, um, extremely late, then the pandemic hit, et cetera. So I would like to explore that side of things more in the future, assuming yeah. <laughs> assuming any of us ever stagger out of our house without houses not in hazmat suits before <laughs> I'm too, 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 too enfeebled to stagger out of my house. <laughs> yes. Oh, those days will come. They have to come. <laughs> they will come. Just for my sanity. I have to believe that. We are having a 30-person fully vaccinated dance party in our house at the end of May. We decided Ooh. it was great. That's nice. incredible. That's incredible. I miss dancing. Me too. And can I just point out the positive side of older age that you get vaccinated first? Mm-hmm. I'm jealous. <laughs> I, know. I, am, I am jealous. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I am jealous. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, yes. Next question. So Ashton, how do you challenge the status quo in your work or in your life? Every fucking day. <laughs> I mean, I can't wait for more competition in the anti-ageism mm. department, you know, this, because age is, I think the, the last prejudice to sort of bubble up to public awareness. So I sometimes think of my work as as working to hitch hitch age to the intersectional sled that people mm-hmm. now understand thank heavens mm-hmm. you know not only the way all these different prejudices compound and reinforce each other how they rely on each other to exist and prevail and that age is obviously a characteristic for inclusion and belongs you know along with the other list of things we can't change about ourselves that no one deserves to be discriminated against because of. Mm-hmm. It's still a new idea and it is like, um, you know, swimming up, up a river, but I've always swum up rivers and it's, it's really fantastic to see the emerging anti-ageism movement gain traction. I mean, the World Health Organization, not the World Old People Organization, <laughs> just launched last month. It's a global initiative to combat mm-hmm. ageism. Mm, amazing they know that the biggest obstacle between you know humanity they're a global organization and making the most of the longer lives which are a permanent global demographic trend is Mm. ageism between our ears and in the world around us so i'm getting some good company (laughs) yes absolutely absolutely it's so important and i think when when i was living with you and you were working your new book uh this chair rocks um, one of the things that came to me is that ageism and ableism is actually uh, discrimination against your future self. Like we, we will, and given given this, you know, natural way of the world, we will all age. And the fact that we have ageism so ingrained into our society, it's like, oh, this is a discrimination against our future selves, and it, we don't, we, mm. we we can't connect those dots, you know. It is the one discrimination that everyone faces, but I think it's really important not to fall into the trap of saying one form of discrimination is worse than or more important than Mm -hmm. another for two reasons. One, I think, I think because of the hideous way racism is embedded in American history, it requires a special struggle to address. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And also because one, one lesson of 2020 and the pandemic and Black Lives Matter is it's become increasingly apparent to me um, strategically, something that I sort of knew ethically but didn't understand as well, that dismantling ageism also means dismantling racism and sexism, that mm-hmm. joining every struggle for equal rights. But the flips, which which seems exhausting, but the flip side of that is that activism is intersectional too. You know, when we chip away at the fear and ignorance that underlie any one of these things, we are chipping away at the foundations of the entire ugly edifice. Here, 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 exactly, exactly. Um, Last but not least, share with us, Ashton, what are you curious about lately? I am, I have been participating in a really amazing workshop about white women taking on our white supremacy. Mm. So I am curious about, apprehensive about, stammery white person about how to be more explicitly and effectively anti-racist in my thoughts and actions. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. What a great endeavor. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, this was fantastic. We need to have you back. More dialogue, more exploration, more unpacking, more challenging the status quo. Thank you for your time, Ashton. Thank you, Ashton. It's really interesting. If you had told me 
15 years ago, I would be fascinated by age and aging. I would have said, ew, why do I want to think about something so yucky and depressing? And for a generalist like me, aging is how we move through life, right? Mm -hmm. It's not just something annoying that old people do. It Mm -hmm. is our journey through life. And that gives me a chance to thank you, Effie, for probably the best present you ever gave me at that panel at House of Yes. Every Mm -hmm. time anyone said the word journey, everyone took a shot. You remember that? (laughs) Which has transformed the word journey for me. And I have carried that forward to countless others. Nice. (laughs) You're very welcome. You're very welcome. I have known Ashton now for what feels like forever. And I've spoken to her about this stuff periodically. We write to each other every now and then. And I listen to her. I follow her on all of her social media channels. And still... When I speak to her, there's something new. A part of my brain just opens up. And this was just one of those one of those chats, you know. She's it's it's the way she talks about things, it's her just grasp and understanding and ability to be so accessible on the topic of aging and ageism, which is not like a popular common topic, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes, particularly I think because we see the folks who are having those conversations as folks who are older. And Mm -hmm. so if you're not yet in that age group, you think, well, I know that that's important, but (laughs) I will deal with that then. Which is, I think, the irony of of part of what Ashton talks about is we are actually pitting ourselves against our future selves. (laughs) That, That by being ageist and creating structures and dynamics that undermine those who are older, we are destroying the quality of life for our own selves, for our future selves. <laughs> this has been the thing on my mind from like it's the, from the the minute Ashton was telling me about ages, I'd be like, "What? That's all of us! Like we're mm-hmm. doing this to ourselves." Mm-hmm. And I think it's such an important topic. And I love the way that she. I mean, she's really relevant to us, right? Because not only that she understands aging and ageism, she's also polyamorous. She has a a wide age gap with her lover and she's able to sort of speak not only from her research, but personal experience. And it's always so insightful. Yeah. I think one of the, there's definitely a few takeaways, but one thing that she said around that unless we are interested in extreme sports or having children, then one's age really should not matter. That things around mm-hmm. values or class or the way someone was raised or you know their their personality and their attention, their income, like all those things actually matter so much more than sure, age. Sure. And yeah. Yeah, your love language, you know, I would say your, mm-hmm. lo- your love language, your communication style, the way that you handle conflict, those are so way more up on the list mm-hmm. than what age you are. And yet we still struggle with dating outside our age range, you know, mm-hmm. and I love her suggestion of having da- uh, online dating sites with no ages on them. Yeah. We don't think about it, but why not? And we've seen this in our Curious Fox community, where some some of the folks who are older have talked about their struggle in the dating community, mm-hmm. that either they are just limited to, to dating folks of their own age, and that mm-hmm. seems like a smaller a smaller group, or there seems like there's bias and, and, and there's not an ability to date folks who are younger. And I think that it was an interesting challenge for us to think about if we are really interested, particularly in non-monogamy and connections with different people thinking about what connections with folks who are older or younger could bring to our lives. I just, mm-hmm. I mean, just thinking about my own life, I think the fact that there is an, an age gap between my wife and I, there's so much that there's so much values alignment and so much else that that age gap doesn't feel like that exists. And there was a certain level of maturity, of owning of assets, of experience mm-hmm. that she brought to the relationship that really enhanced our, our dynamic. And then in my relationship with my partner, and she's younger than me, there is a certain level of energy and adventure and curiosity that help that draws that part out in me. So I don't know. It feels like a challenge for us to like explore. For sure. I think also it challenges our, like many of these things, challenges of our ideas of what we think of. I mean, if you flip it, right, that challenges our ideas of what a relationship is, what's available in this relationship, what we want in, out of a relationship what sex is, what sex looks like. Like, I think age is like that sort of insidious background quality that we kind of impose onto these ideas, right? So let's say you're thinking of a relationship. Most of us think of the relationship escalator. So because of that, you kind of imagine somebody same age as you that goes up the escalator together 
we often think of procreation such having kids as a part of a relationship. So age actually does become relevant if that's, if, you know, if that's right for you. I think that we have preconceived ideas around beauty and body type and attraction and desire, which also plays into our attraction and our sex lives. Like any kind of like old sex with older people is fetishized or stigmatized. It's like so much so much of this like woven in um we don't even realize so i think it gets in the way of of us thinking about i should say it gets in the way of us not thinking about age when we're dating even when we think we're not thinking about it we are so much ingrained in that yeah well i think this was a good conversation for me as i approach 40 this summer i am reminded by the advice that i continue to hear from folks who are older which is you only get to know yourself more. You get to know your body more. You get to uh, have a deeper appreciation for every moment of life in a greater way as you get older. And so I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to all of the sex, all of the romance, mm-hmm. all of the play. There's no more children for me. So that's not a thing. I don't know about extreme sports. I have to think about that. But other than that, I'm into it. I'm ready. Yeah. I'm ready for all the things. For more information on Ashton, you can visit her at This Chair Rocks on Instagram and Facebook and her website, thischairrocks.com. And while you're online, you can find us at We Are Curious Foxes in, on Instagram, on Facebook, and on Patreon. If you join our Patreon, not only can you find Ashton's 2017 Consider This Talk, but you will have access to all of our Consider This videos, all of the presentations that we've done with educators, all of our training events and workshops that happen live, you have access to it all, plus bonus episodes, opportunities to connect with us, ask me anything, so much more available to you on Patreon at We Are Curious Foxes. And if you have any questions that you'd like us to explore, things that you'd like us to add to Patreon, things that you want us to talk about on this podcast, you can share your question with us by sending a voice memo on your phone and emailing it to listening at wearecuriousfoxes.com or you can record the question by calling us at 201-870-0063. And we ask you to help us challenge the status quo and change the noise by liking, following, and sharing this podcast. It is a very, very easy easy way to spread the message and to continue to help us create change around the narrative in love, sex, and relationships. This episode is produced and edited by Nina Pollock, whose incredible ability to transform our conversations into podcast-ready episodes never gets old. Our intro music is composed by Dave Saha. We are so grateful for their work, and we're grateful to you for listening, as always. Stay curious, friends. Curious Fox podcast is not and will never be the final word on any topic. We solely aim to encourage curiosity and provide a space for exploration through connection and story. We encourage you to listen with an open and curious mind and we'll look forward to your feedback. Stay curious, friends. Stay curious. 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 Stay curious.